0: Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Today, we will be discussing China's one-child policy. The one-child policy was implemented for 35 years, spanning from 1979 to 2015, with the goal of slowing China's rapid population growth. This was a sudden change from Mao's previous belief that the more people, the stronger we are. The policy meant that families were allowed to have only one child, creating a one-child generation, a wave of abandoned babies and a demographic imbalance. If the parents were only children or were from an ethnic minority from a small population, they were allowed to have a second child after a set amount of time. To implement this policy, many women were forcibly sterilized after after having their first child, and others were forced after doctors performed late term late term abortions, even going so far so as to hi, kill newborn babies.
1: So, and um,
0: I was today a I'm joined by a special guest in
1: Province in 1994. Um, I was adopted by two white people from Wisconsin, and um, that was my first place of residence for a few years. And then I moved over to um, New Hampshire, and that's where I spent the majority of my growing up years. I have an older sister, and she's biologically related to the parents adopted my brother and I. And my brother, he's actually adopted from Peru. Um, One unique part of my Adoption story would be that I was adopted out of order, in that I was considered, I guess, the baby of the family given when I came through, but um, I was treated like the middle child. So,
2: yep. Um, hey everyone,
3: I'm Blythe. Uh, my Chinese name is Yi Shulan. Um, I was adopted from Iyang in Hunan province. And yeah, I'm 21. I was adopted by a single white mom, which is a little bit more rare um, among Asian adoptees, I've found. I grew up around like in the Toronto-ish area. And now I'm about to start my grad school um, studies and cinema studies at the University of Toronto. And I feel like that's
0: about it for me. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you guys here today. So the first question that we're going to start off with is very vague, um, but do you support the one-child policy?
3: I can start on that one. I think that um, anyone who says hard stop 100%, they support or don't support one-child policy, or really what the one-child policy was, which was um, a series of policies that changed over the decades that it was in place, um, but it's just collectively known as the one child policy. If you say you 100% support or don't support it, I think that um, it's probably missing something. There's a lot of complex historical factors obviously social factors as well that tends to either be I find you know driven home by China among Chinese people that this was 100% necessary or in western countries was like look how misogynist these people are," are like and used to you know say that the or not so subtly imply that or better we as being the West, um, and so I think that it's somewhere somewhere between wow, um, and um, that yeah, it's a very complicated situation. Um, so I would I have say complicated that I'm also it.
1: in the middle uh, regarding okay. being for or against um, the policy, just because it is very complicated. Um, I actually did a report on that um, back in I believe college, um, trying to dissect what the policy meant and. Um, there's a lot of nuance to it that um, everyday people don't really know about regarding how the policy affected people. And um, I feel that there's so many layers to the policy that um, affect the way that people look at it. Um, I definitely think that it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, women's reproductive rights were clearly <clears throat> ignored and violated, so to speak, and um, I think that's unfortunate, but I feel that because of my experience being raised in America has influenced the way I look at the policy versus if I was raised in China, I might have a totally different viewpoint on it. So, that is something I have to consider
2: regarding my position on the policy.
0: So would you guys say that you think that it was maybe a necessary step, though, to prevent um, China's overpopulation? You know, what's interesting
3: is I, I talked to a friend of mine about this who's also Chinese, but she's a 1.5-gen immigrant. So she moved here. She was born in China but moved here with her biological family um, when at a young age. Um, and we talk about this kind of thing um, frequently. And I told her that, you know, in the end, I don't really care as as bizarre as that sounds um because you would think that me and us having our lives be so turned upside down and so drastically changed by this policy um which in many ways targeted us and targeted uh female people um you know, you would think that we would have really strong feelings about it, right now, do I think that it was? necessary I'm not so sure honestly of course like I know would have you you know have you believe that and there is probably some truth in it um but you know we've also seen things here which are also biased of course in their reporting um talking about how you know supposedly other studies done seem to show that it wasn't didn't have the the impact that um Chinese people think it it has or that the Chinese government would have uh, people believe it had honestly and truly, I think the truth is, is somewhere in between again, um, between those two Um, and really, really and truly I ultimately don't really care where it lies. Um, If, I were to spend, you know, the rest of my life trying to prove to one side or the other why they were wrong, or try to like find out the truth for myself. Like, did this need to happen to me? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, what kind of, that doesn't, I don't feel like I need to do that. I don't feel like I need to, you know, go in depth on all these studies and look at the evidence given by both sides and like, you know, figure out what the truth is. At the end of the day, what happened, happened to me. And a lot of that was bad and not all of it was. Um, And I just kind of live with the consequences and I don't feel the need to really get into the nitty gritty because at the end of the day, I'm just trying to, you know, keep going. You know what I mean? Um, Mm
1: -hmm. So I guess my thoughts are kind of complicated regarding the policy just because I don't fully believe that all um, Chinese adoptees have been affected by the policy directly because um, many of the circumstances that led um, birth families to abandon their children it's very diverse and um, one can't directly pinpoint you know the problem or the cause for the problem to just the policy Um, I think that would be quite uh, ignorant to take that on and also I think it would also reinforce in my opinion, uh, sort of a form of demonization of China if people were to just blame the policy on why international adoption from China happens or happened. So um, I think to take an educational approach would be to analyze, you know, a bunch of birth families, so to speak, and learn from them directly why they, they made their decision, so to speak. But again, that would. Require a lot of time and work and also um, trust <laughs> with those people to do that. But um, regarding the policy, I think um, there's also other nuances to right. um, just the society in how they view family and children, and also gener- generationally speaking, I think that's something to consider uh, regarding how the policy has affected people um, and their thought process. Uh, I think. Um, For example, the older generation might view it as a good thing because that's what they were told and that's how they were, um, you know, brought up to understand. And then as people have become more familiar and educated about it, maybe they've decided to lean toward disagreeing with the policy and its effects on people. Um, And also, in addition, I have met kids or people in my generation who also have siblings and some of them also are only children so to learn about their experience growing up in china um has allowed me to understand more about their general insights on it um granted i've never directly asked anyone because obviously it's a personal question but i i kind of gather from people's um conversation that um so for many people it didn't affect them because maybe they were from a different social class that
2: they're um not affected by it so yeah
0: hey. One thing that you mentioned, which I think is um, interesting because I never thought of it that way, was you said that you don't think that. Yeah, I'd like to say that, like, I mean, it affected a fair amount, probably, but um, I don't know if there's any
1: particular, like, uh, you know, statistic that puts the two together, if that makes any sense. Um, I have been to various kind of events, I guess, about the policy. Um, I went to, like, an author event um, by a woman named Mei Fong and she wrote about the policy Um, and then I've also done various you know projects and papers and things too, but I'd also like to take I guess an unconventional approach in thinking that um, nothing is black and white. So yeah.
2: (laughs) Exactly. For sure, as I said it's
0: somewhere between. (laughs) Um so do you guys want to talk about maybe some aspects of the one-shot policy that you thought were clever or maybe things that shouldn't have been implemented?
3: I mean I think that one thing that's very clear is as you know really um, basically worldwide is that this policy was clearly not well thought through by the people who mm. would have been able to predict a lot of the Consequences that we were talking about before, right? Like, is almost definitely made up by majority, if not all, a bunch of men probably who hadn't or wouldn't or maybe just didn't care have considered that you know, this demographic shift that you mentioned before where there are just too many men in China and not enough women. And of course, being like a particularly heteronormative society um, would require um, more women to marry, etc. Like it it was so evidently not really thought through too well or they decided that those consequences were worth it. I don't know. Um, So off the top, you know, it was clearly not the brightest thing maybe um as for you know individual parts of it um i do know that the uh should i put it like the the amount the the gravity of the punishments changed over the decades right it wasn't consistently enforced with the same amount of of violence and insistence and surveillance um we i think that we hear a lot about you know the worst of it which is not to say that you know not enough people hear about the worst of it so i'm not you know arguing against that but um there were points, you know, there were ebbs and flows, kind of, from my understanding of how severely they imposed this. Um, yeah, and that makes so,
2: sense, because I was 35
0: years, so they yeah yeah, exactly. yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, so, you um, know, at the worst of it here of, you know, on local levels, like, women being stalked and their periods being tracked and being, you know, chased down and, you know, essentially almost forced possibly paralyzed or um, having abortions performed, etc., or having their children taken away from them. Um, so obviously all of that we can <laughs> collectively agree bad, um, but you know, I I wish I knew more about the specific um, sort of workings of it. I do know that um, actually at one point rural families um, were allowed to have another child if the first, I believe, I believe if the first were a daughter that uh, something like, and don't quote me on this, this could be wrong, but a few years after, like I think maybe around five years, um, they were allowed to have a second child. And I'm not sure exactly which year that changed. Um, but yeah, there, that's one thing that I feel like people don't necessarily know about it is that, um, you know, you talked about, you know, parts of the policy, the policy really was a bunch of different parts in a way, like political, like, like policy things like individually, um, introduced over time. I agree with
1: Um, her points. Um, and Mm. I definitely think the policy is like we've talked about before. It's very complicated. And I do feel that. A lot of people's lives were changed. um, Some for the better, and some not so great. Um, I also think that the current times are bringing on new problems. For example, the gender disparity uh, is uh, a cause for many problems, especially with the idea around, um, you know, starting a family and how, like, um, in China, there's such. ton of men that are looking to find someone to marry at and um unfortunately they're having to go to uh great lengths mm-hmm. to try to find someone to marry but unfortunately i think some of the motives that people are choosing to marry are unfortunately not the most uh, sound nor you know humane um just because there's been a lot of like abductions um within china as well as abroad and um yes exactly and um chi- china has been trying to crack down mm-hmm. on and that I think mean, like, the like now, right? almost nearly impossible just because there's so many um different little it's like whack-a-mole right where you just they just keep trying to you know get the perps and stuff but then all of a sudden there's there's like whole networks mm-hmm. and stuff of people basically working with each other to try to you know for example have a um a woman from, let's just say, uh, I think it was Pakistan. I can't remember what country it was, but there's a fair amount of countries that are, that are essentially just, um, you know, having their women uh, cross the borders and uh, become the wives of these Chinese men. But unfortunately, it's not uh, the most, um, what's the word, smooth transaction, if you will, because uh, these women, they don't have any they've been, like, fooled and lied to, basically claiming that they thought they were going to be living in, like, a more comfortable and wealthy sort of lifestyle, but many Mm -hmm. of them end up living in really, um, yeah, uh, not the best conditions. And also, there's a language barrier, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes on, and not to mention the price, obviously. They're literally being sold um, to marry some random stranger. And um, the... I think the sad thing is that the government hasn't uh, yeah. looked at their mistake, really. Um, and and I feel as an outsider slash insider that that is pretty um, unfortunate because, uh, I mean, this is just the case for any government out there that is not able to criticize themselves <laughs> for their errors that have affected generations of people. Um, and... I think that's the reason why, uh, I mean, it's like, it's, uh, I would say it's not an easy fight to have, so to speak, because, I mean, it's, like, people are essentially just fighting a system, if you will, and it's hard to fight a system that's been pretty um, firm and, you know, strong in their Mm. belief, Um, but again, like Bly said, it most likely was a bunch of men sitting around being like, hmm... Well, there's one mistake that was made. It was a major mistake, and now how do we fix it? Okay, well, we're going to have to um, implement certain rules and regulations to ensure that people abide by the law. And due to the fact that people already, uh, well, for the most part, abided by the law, I mean, there are people who have broken the law, and they've suffered because of it if they found to have you know committed a crime. So, But many people have also had to have what they call... Um, Um, I guess the hidden children, right, where there are children who aren't fully, they don't have their, um, you know, what's equivalent to the social security card um, in -hmm. China. They don't have any way of getting a job, going to school, things like that. And unfortunately, those children are suffering, too, because they don't have any supports, really. Um, And so I do feel pretty uh, badly that those children are literally just existing but not existing in the society. So yeah, there's that aspect of it that I think strongly correlates to the um, mm. one child and now two
2: child policies. <laughs> and that the fact that you bring up
0: the two child policy, what I appreciate in 2015 was when they decided to move to the two child policy that um, they didn't acknowledge that they kind of screwed themselves over with the one child policy because now that they don't now they don't have um enough children mm-hmm. to grow up and um support the older populations when they go get to like retiring age they just said oh now we're gonna have yeah, two children for sure. today. and they kind of just like, for sure i
1: actually um just read the, an article more recently about so, how um yeah the major countries that are going to be dealing with uh uh, well, like the fertility rate is kind of going down for a lot of countries, and in some cases...
2: Uh-huh. Well, actually, the thing was
0: that well, I said, you know, China didn't really look ahead into the future, the one-child policy is very poorly thought out. It is because um, Mao was pushing for all of this industrial, like for the industrial revolution, so that the uh, quality of living would go up, and it's been shown that when, when their quality of living goes up, and you know yeah. women have access to education yeah. and like jobs and stuff, then they choose to have less children just by default. And so, if they had, you know, I'm not saying maybe the child one-child policy could have, if they had <laughs> implemented it for like even a lesser amount of time, they wouldn't have the same problems right. that we have today. If they had just you know put it in for a decade, you know, not 35 years. Um, right. And they might not find themselves in the same amount of crisis that they are at now. They're having to um, adopt a new policy where, which it also isn't working because, you know, the one child policy was, t- was super effective in the fact that a lot of people from, you know, our generation in China don't want to have uh, more than one child, be it because of, you know, they have access, yes. they have higher quality of life now. And so there's the focus is on education and like jobs. And also because it's kind of it's not the norm anymore to have siblings. That makes sense. It's kind of um, internalized from all the propaganda growing up that you know it's supposed to be one child. This is how the um, ideal family looks. Yeah, and I mean, I I agree with you that (laughs) the two child policy
1: is not necessarily a what do they call that a solution to the problem. It's just another um, dimension to the problem. I think Um, and. And to top it off, I've been reading on the fact that there are many women out there who actually they would like to have at least one child, but they're not even um, they'd like to be, you know, um, they don't want to be married necessarily to have a child. Right. And so that's a whole nother demographic that um, many of these women do come from affluent uh, places, so they mm-hmm. can make those kind of decisions. But then on the flip side, you have women who are um unwed mothers right and uh the china like the society i would say in general would uh probably not see that as a good thing (laughs) i mean i think it's improving i think people are becoming more progressive on certain levels right um but again it's the old generation middle generation slash you know current generations and stuff that have different takes on what is acceptable to a family you know family model right and what does it mean to have uh what does it mean to be a family right and i mean i know i've also mm. read that um even with domestic adoptions in china um that's kind of a taboo subject and um i find it interesting to learn that in some cases many people are open about talking about being adopted within china right but uh in a lot of cases um i talked to someone who Um, openly told me that if they ever adopted Mm. in China, and they're Chinese, they would never tell the child that they're adopted. And I thought that was really ironic given the industry that they're in. But um, the point I'm making is that uh, yeah, the whole idea around what does it mean to have family and who plays their role in the family and even just family values in China, I think, obviously are changing, as you said. But um, it does make me a little sad, I guess, to know that some things haven't really changed that much. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. What do you think, Blythe? Um, on specifically,
0: like what? Because sorry, the conversation is very broad. Oh, is there something like specific you want to talk about?
3: Um, no, not really. Um, something that um, actually, I guess is more like a sort of. I don't know if I would call it a fun fact, but um, an interesting thing is, um, I don't know, I I think maybe some people have heard of the book China's Hidden Children, um, which I can take issue with. I haven't read that far into it yet. It's by a white lady who, you know, the types of people who make another part, another country, the white people who make another Country or people or whatever, their field of study. So, um, mm. automatically off the bat, um, I don't like that. And I don't like that, unfortunately, you know, when it comes to China, often if you we want information, those are one of the only sources where we can get information outside of what um, the government is saying. But anyway, all that aside, um, she wrote in her book that this author, I forget the name person um uh that actually from um like the research that um she did with her team there um which was talking to um a lot of families in you know small rural areas and that kind of thing um she found that a lot of the families um actually would originally adopt like among their communities so for example if a family had a child that they couldn't keep another family who wanted a child but maybe couldn't have them or something like that would adopt them Um, and it would be within the community and people you know the child would get to stay within the community and sometimes they found out about their birth parents and sometimes they didn't But that this was sort of cracked down upon, um, from my understanding, I didn't read the whole book, so it could be that I'm mischaracterizing it, but essentially cracked down on that because um, I realized that, tragically, there was money to be made in international adoption. So, you know, we talk sometimes like, oh, how how much did you cost, right? Like, how much did your family pay to adopt you? Um, And so... You know, the, sadly, you know, you in some ways, like, yes, of course, you can, you know, criticize the government for doing this. But in other ways, you know, it's also just a symptom of the very sick sort of global economic structure that we're in. Um, you know, it government was like no we can we you know we can make money from from these kids from a bunch of rich white people um, not to say that all adoptive families are rich like my mom is not but you know broadly speaking mm-hmm. um, and so they would take the children from the adoptive family so you know it, it's kind of sad and funny to think that um people who were adopted um to you know being given up by uh due to the one child policy could have you know in within their communities you know not everyone would say that that's preferable but that you know in some ways it's possible some of us were adopted twice and would never have known it um because Mm -hmm. you know the they realized that this was happening and took the children from those um Original adoptive families. I don't know how common this was, but from what the author was saying in the book, it wasn't super uncommon. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a really obscure practice. So it's interesting to to see um, the sort of parts of it, you know, the parts of the how people reacted to and dealt with the policy. Um, how well, those things are hidden from us
0: hmm sure I think that's kind of one of the sad things about being adopted is you never you never know what your past is like what Does that makes sense but it's also very sad um I think for the adopt the families the birth families who give away the children because they also they don't know what happens to their child and at least you know we know that we're alive but they don't know
3: yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, like that sort of black hole of a of a past is I think uh quite not quite, but um is often more specific to Chinese adoptees because of the policy and because there were often no names given, etc., because people were afraid of retribution. From what I can tell, like Korean adoptees and that they can usually, you know, um, it's they have more of a paper trail, um, and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's um one thing I think that a lot of us probably have watched One Child Nation or have heard of One Child Nation, the documentary that was made about the policy um, pretty recently. And um, just hearing, you know, maybe, you know, on paper and in your head, some of the, the terrible things that people went through, um, you know, like burning houses down in a lot of rural areas and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but when you really hear the anecdotes and the stories from the families who were forced to give up their kids and sometimes in some cases, you know, watch them essentially die, like rotting because no one wanted them, um, you know, the market or wherever, it it gives you, I find, um, a new sort of understanding of that. And one thing that um, really struck me in that documentary was one of the women that they talked to, um, you know, Understandably, the emotional scars stayed with her to this day, you know, like she still doesn't know what happened to her, to her child. And so I think that when we're talking about the policy in terms of misogyny, um, you know, a lot of that is based on, oh, they gave up the the female children, right? Um, but I think that we also have to remember to look back at the people who are, are even more invisible, which are the people, the women who who were forcibly sterilized, of course, but um you know maybe even more invisible than that um is the emotional scars that so many of them bear. Um, you know the person in this documentary, she talked about how, you know, she was absolutely inconsolable and like was absolutely traumatized for like years afterward and you know remains so to this day, but she's more functional now. And I think that that is something um, that is easy to kind of forget about when you're talking about all the, you know, flashy stuff. Like, look at they did this and, you know, the horrible violent actions. But a lot of that violence, um, particularly toward women, was also very quiet. And, you know, of course, you're never going to hear about that because these women don't have voices they also probably don't even talk about it amongst you know their friends or their family because Mm -hmm. it's so taboo and because they still fear retribution and so i think that um i anyway consider it a responsibility of mine to remember that and to remember that my own mother probably went through that and you know a lot of women probably did and will never get to hear their voices um which is just one of many you know um really really tragic things
0: sure and like even within the documentary um one of the old ladies who was i think her husband was being interviewed but she was telling Nanfu off because uh nonfu wanted to interview some of the women who have been impacted by the policy and she said no one wants to remember all those sad memories so don't go bothering them yeah
2: which
0: i thought was very is kind of sad obviously because yeah i totally relate memories, to all your if those stories never get towards, um, then they just sentiments disappear. on the mm-hmm. the movie um i went
1: to it see it with a few friends and um although i'm not gonna lie i was very conflicted in seeing the movie just because i have um conflicted feelings about those that were involved in making the movie um which i can talk about at a different point but at the end of the day um i definitely had a lot to take away from just just the anecdotal stories that people had and um yeah it's very it is very important to share stories but at the end of the day it's also kind of like at what um what is the risk in sharing certain stories just because some people are under a lot of um pressure and um that pressure never goes away even if times i've technically changed um but in some cases it hasn't changed so i don't know and i think i would also add that you know uh people's education level i think would influence their ability to speak out on something i think because if you're not exposed to um the idea around even just sharing your voice i think then Mm. one would be less likely to say anything if that makes any sense um just because there is. I think there would be a sense of privilege to be able to speak out on something so controversial. Sure. Um, and that it also requires a level of, um, I guess, what do you call it? Uh, the ability, I guess, to articulate and kind of specify problems or reasons within the problem to make an argument.
2: <laughs> Yes, I definitely agree with the um, privilege part mm-hmm. about
0: being able to speak out because, especially in China, where free speech is very limited, or basically doesn't exist. Um, speak out ag- against the government does require you know both education and yeah, and, and um, I, I think privilege. that's the reason so why. I mean,
2: flee the country um, from the government well, that might be one know, of the
1: reasons why basically. you know a fair amount of people do end up leaving China for various you know dreams and pursuits and things. But also, um, even in the earlier Times Like in the 1990s and stuff, there have been a few, Mm -hmm. you know, people who've left China for their own reasons. And I think that takes a lot of nerve uh, to do that. Yeah. I mean, that in itself, leaving a place that's not what you thought it would be, or even if it's your home, right, is a big deal. And it's a a good symbol of like, um, kind of like taking
2: back Mm -hmm. or taking ownership of your
0: story do you guys believe that the one child policy was effective and did achieve its goal of preventing overpopulation because one of the uh ways that the government cleverly worded their propaganda was that it was the one child policy was necessary because they were fighting a population war i think that i kind of touched on that earlier
3: which was that there's a lot of conflicting information um, about it and whether or not it was effective. Um, and for me, at the end of the day, I have no interest in whether it was effective or not, really or truly. And um, no. so who who knows? If I had to guess, again, I would I would say it was probably somewhat effective. You know, like I'm sure it didn't do nothing, but I also feel like it probably didn't do you know, single-handedly save the country, you know, um, um overpopulation. And of course the just the term overpopulation is quite interesting. Um mm-hmm. according to whom, right? Um, so of course keeping in mind China had been through a lot um leading up to the implementation of the policy. Like, you know, there was uh a horrible famine um, and things like that, that I can understand would have contributed to their um, sort of desire to keep population down. Whether or not it succeeded, honestly, maybe a little bit, but probably not to the extent that they they think it did. Um, But yeah,
0: ultimately, (laughs) you know, Um, is there something you think that maybe the government could have done differently instead of doing the one child policy? Mm
3: -hmm. Um, I think that, of course, I, you know, I am not a political thinker have not taken any policy. sci don't really know um you know i know a bit about the history um like within china at that time but i don't know the intricacies of it you know what i mean like i i would i think i would need you know the numbers in front of me i would need to hear someone reason out like why they felt that this policy was a good thing before you could think through what alternatives um could have been right because you have to understand or you would have to understand the full situation that they were dealing with at that time and what their goals were before you could think of, you know, another way that they might've tried to achieve those goals. Um, I really, you know, I really don't know. I, I think that maybe, you know, if they had gone with two child policy from the start, of course there would still be damage. And of course that wouldn't necessarily have solved lot but I do think it probably would have mitigated the damage you know the extreme human toll that the one child policy took just maybe to a lesser degree however um you know who knows I I would definitely say you would probably find some reading on that somewhere um of you know people like policymakers or something who might have had different suggestions but I have no um real idea what those might be
2: Mm
0: -hmm. makes sense i kind of agree with that the only thing that i wish the government would do differently now would be actually to kind of acknowledge that maybe the one child policy wasn't thought through well enough and that there was a lot of harm and you know millions of lives were affected by this policy and in most cases in not a good way and so i think that they if they could you know make a statement to acknowledge that and maybe you know for like international adoptees all, all of us girls who have been kind of adopted into um, other countries if like they gave us like um maybe not you know citizenship but kind of an honorary thing so if we ever want to go to China you know to visit or to live it would be much easier for us to go back. Yeah I think that that
3: would be you know a great great thing and you know I've, I've seen even even go so far as you know suggesting it would be great if they set up like a system where you could be reunited with families blah 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 realistically like I think we all know that's never going to happen like even what you're suggesting Maya which is like pretty minor um thing that um the, the government like really I think relies on upholding is faith in it right and like this sort of not necessarily you know um totally, like, uninformed, just, like, not even thinking about it kind of, um, kind of faith, um, but to admit weakness, um, well, to admit a mistake, I think, to them would probably be to admit weakness, to, um, mm-hmm. show cracks, you know, to suggest that they maybe aren't the, the greatest party to be, like, you know, all this other stuff, so, um, I don't think we'll ever see, an apology or an acknowledgement i think that feeling truly the one child policies is kind of gonna like you said be swept under the under the rug for the most part and be like yeah it never happened forget about it now we're on the two child thing um because they don't want to dwell too much on their their mistakes and the fact that they made any mistakes in the first place for a lot of complicated reasons right but yeah you know that would be that would be great um to um have that one day of you know that sort of day back if you want it but i think that uh we don't need to be uh you know holding our breath for that
0: oh gosh that will never happen that should be really nice though if they were able if they once again something happened but if they set up you know institutions where we could uh reconnect with our birth families instead of having to like you know do 23andme upload our data to all these like questionable databases and just to um, your fingers crossed so yeah i definitely think that it'd be nice if, um, DNA as well. uh,
1: the chinese government do think would mean? do more for supporting adoptees um um not just going to china for like a general tour and things but also like to be able to spend time in the country for a, a period of time or to have some sort of i mean i personally think it'd be awesome to have dual citizenship um that way it would Yeah, I know. I That is just a hope. <laughs> it's just a I wish think China uh, that, that could dual happen because um, that would make things so much okay. easier for adoptees to travel back and forth. I know with other countries like Korea, I think some people do have dual citizenship, which I think that's great. And I mean, it's complicated, but it would definitely um, be a benefit um, to have that. After all, I mean, I think it would help uh, bring a sense of peace for certain people who want to go to the country and um a lot of people are unfortunately not the most um familiar with the i guess experience of travel and visas and all that stuff so i feel like it'd make things a lot simpler if that was already in place beforehand but i don't know i think that would also create maybe potentially create some problems uh with um the reason why people are adopted in the first place i don't know (laughs) there's a lot of as they say like even with um For example, birth family searching in China, people are getting more open about Mm. um, knowing that adoptees want to search. But um, I would also say that there's also a fair amount of people who are against searching because they think that uh, why search when you've already when, when you're living your life in X country and stuff? And, you know, why can't you be happy being there and et cetera, et cetera? but that's a whole different conversation, I guess, for a different time. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I feel like flexibility to be able to travel would be awesome, because um, in the times that I have uh, traveled to China three times, I've run into uh, visa issues on all three occasions. And it I think it's a triggering point just to have to deal with the government again um, in a different manner through bureaucracy. And yeah, so uh, I know I'm not alone in that, but Everyone's individual experiences with immigration problems, whether going to mm-hmm. a country early or, le- or um, the country that they're in, if they're an immigrant, is <laughs> it's frustrating to say the least. Yeah, and not to be understood by the general, um, you know, population that manages immigration sure. paperwork and things like that.
2: So yeah, that's my point. <laughs> hmm. What do you guys
0: think about the two-child policy?
3: I feel like it's probably like a bit of an improvement. Um, But of course, I'm sure there are still children who will be given up because of this policy as well, you know. Um, So I I really see it as kind of like a, it's probably just like a a less version of what came before. Um, And so. I can't really, you know, I can't really say whether it's good or bad in the end. I would be interested um, in knowing how that will, like, how the two-child policy for however long it's in effect, because it's pretty new, um, will uh, affect, like, sort of family dynamics in that. Like, another thing that I read um, in uh, the book I mentioned before, China's Hidden Children, was that... Um, the author said that there actually appeared to be, you know, like the the narrative that sort of peddled here is, they just want boys, they love boys, blah blah blah. And what the author seemed to be saying was that actually the preference was to have one of each. That the you know the um, the a daughter was seen to bring certain things to the family. You know, obviously more like emotion based and stuff like that. And the son brought things to the family. Um but you know, of course to choose between the two, um, people would obviously choose a son. Um, but I wonder now that the two child policies in place, will people still prefer to have like one daughter, one son? Will they want, you know, two sons? Like I, I don't know. Um so I, I would be interested, you know, in a few decades see if there's any kind of research done on how um family structure has changed in China not only based on sort of what um the two of you were discussing before about you know people being increasingly you know more independent and not really wanting kids or maybe only wanting one kid if they're going to have one um compared you know coupled with two-child policy to see kind of what the typical Chinese family will look like in 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 several decades I think it'll be very Mm -hmm.
0: yeah sure it's interesting that you bring up the um you know a girl brings some things to the family and the boy brings um other things because I still do think that um it may not be as like black and white as you know the white narrative is I definitely do believe that there is a definite preference preference for boys and I in my mind i don't think there's a question that the boys are valued more because even if if you look at like one child nation when the grandfathers are being interviewed and non says you know is my son worth the same as my brother's son right or am i worth the same as my my brother
3: the the extreme patriarchal and misogynist sort of um traits are of the society of the policy are definitely not in question um at all no mm-hmm.
0: Um, obviously China is very diverse and so within China there's different you know, minorities that obviously where the value... So is, I guess I'll
1: add my two cents. So Basically, like the with the two-child like policy, I mean, I feel like it's still pretty young to know what the effects will be like. <laughs> so I guess my take is that it will be a while for us to know whether or not it'll have good results versus not such good results. But... One thing I will also add is that um, uh, I think maybe both maybe know about the baby boxes that have been coming out in China, but also have been around the world. Um, I find those to be controversial because, yes, in one way it's good to have because it uh, is a place to keep a baby for a temporary time until it's, you know, discovered. But on the other hand, I feel like it might encourage people to abandon their child without fully trying to I don't know seek out the help that they can but then that's another story with the social welfare so I don't know it's it's very it's really difficult to you know obviously give a right answer but Mm -hmm. I just I don't know I feel it's very it's difficult only because also um, many of the baby boxes in China tend to have yeah a high influx of people coming through and they usually come at the nighttime so that no one sees that they're doing it you know and so But that's, a, I guess, that does play into the whole idea around not being able to care for one's child, you know, whether it's their first child or their second or third child,
2: you know. But, yeah, just a thought that I thought Mm -hmm. might be (laughs) worth mentioning. That's good. It's good to have lots of different perspectives. And, you know, for
0: for me, I get to learn a lot. And also for um, people listening, they get to learn more. So, are there any final thoughts that you guys would like to share before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, um,
3: I guess I would just say that one-child policy is a huge, has a huge presence not only in Chinese history but also in you know sort of global politics as well. And it's so complicated the way that different people approach it when they think about it, when they learn about it. Um, and that it's easy for uh, the stories of the people who are who are harmed by it to be used both by the Chinese and by, you know, non-Chinese people to sort of further their own ends or their own political gains and, you know, interests, that kind of thing. Um, I think that you know, predominantly for me, um, being one of the people who was really deeply affected by it, I think that I try not to torture myself thinking about it all the time. And people may want to, maybe some adoptees will, you know, go into research in this field, like who knows. Um, but for me, the one child policies is sort of, even though it, it's its shadow really, hangs over my life um, the same way it does, I'm sure, many, many Chinese people. But, you know, especially mine being um, what I assume to be the reason that I am here, um, where I am now. Even though that shadow is always there, it's not something, believe it or not, that I, I really pay too much attention to. So, you know, for each person, that's going to be different. But um, I would say that I try not to get caught up in thinking about, you know, all the things we've been talking about, you know, the specifics, the numbers, did it work? Did it not work? You know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I just kind of, in in a way, like live and let be, you know, I try to keep the memory, um, which is still ongoing of everything that people went through from this policy, um, alive and I, of course, am a living legacy of it as well. But I, I don't let it. Um, even though it's largely affected the narrative of my life, I don't really, um, I don't really think about it too much in the day to day. And um, that's just me. But for me, it's really something that is extremely complicated that I recognize to be used by many different people um, for their own personal interests. Um, and you know accomplishing certain political things and so I kind of tend to sort of um, keep an eye on conversations about it and that kind of thing and point out when people are clearly wrong or biased when talking about it I don't not heavily invested in thinking about it often
0: mm. so that's probably um, a good thing because there's a lot of um, sadness when you think about the one child policy I think mm. it's not good to dwell on that I
3: think like to
0: dwell on it
3: some people honestly like I can understand you know like and in some people might even argue it's good to dwell on it which you know for them it might be if you if that's the way that you're you know you really want to think through this thing that um affected you and traumatized you and you know of course like um dwelling on it is also um in some ways a luxury in a way like you know like we've talked about you know like the children who were drowned at birth don't have that luxury of dwelling on it you know what i mean the people Mm -hmm. who um went through like extreme like body essentially like body terror um you know with uh, possibly forced sterilizations and abortions that kind of thing they probably don't have the luxury of dwelling on it either because to do so would just be way too painful um so you know if if it's something that you would like to dwell on or think about a lot or, you know, really, really get it like sink your teeth into and get into and learn the history of like the very specific histories of it. Um, I think that's that's good. You know, I I, I don't necessarily say that my approach to it is the correct approach for everyone. Um, but yeah, for me personally So yeah, I'll um, add some, some forever closing thoughts on this. Um, I don't I don't um, think I definitely about think- it constantly
1: like Blythe said, um, yeah, there's, I think, um, there needs to be a fair balance of um, focus um, regarding the topic of the policy, because, um, yeah, it is is rather depressing at times, um, and it can emotionally tax someone, I think, um, and especially since some of us um, adoptees do have other kind of pressing emotional or mental health concerns um i think that it's important to be aware of our own sort of threshold um with the topic um for me i know i tend to push myself probably more than i should um regarding very controversial topics because i mean i am very curious and i just want to educate myself as much as i can about something but i also know that i feel like uh In some ways, I'm um, alone in that because not a lot of people want to talk about deep topics like this. So I do appreciate having the opportunity to share um, uh, because platforms such as podcasts and things, um, I think, Mm -hmm. are a great way to communicate that. Um, And I feel like I'm also just as an individual growing in my own ability to share my thoughts on something that's so complicated. And um so multifaceted, but also, um, my For I think sure. my biggest crit- critique on the policy in general is who is uh, behind articulating and sharing that information. For example, Blythe mentioned the book, you know, China's Hidden, hidden Children. Um, and I would agree that, again, it is seems to be the case that there's a lot of um, I guess uh, people from outside of China, white people, um, whether from Europe or America or Canada or wherever, who do take it upon themselves to try to articulate something that is, well, they have to go through a lot of translation, that's for sure. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, again, it's this ownership of information that I think is very interesting to bring out um, because uh, whoever has the power to. Share that um, can, you know,
2: make a spin on the story however they want. Mm Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's a thing about that.
0: Um, It's not. Exactly. That's what I was. That's kind of what I'm going for. And also, in general, I also think that
1: um, people have their biases on things, and I think that can be problematic, especially um, in exchange of information in like a publication, for example, where there's a lot of um, financial support um, in that. And I think it can be a dangerous line to walk, especially if one isn't careful with their sources, if you will, um, and that they just tend to run with that information and believe it as truth with a capital T. Um, I think, I mean... I'm not discounting the research that has happened before, because research is research. It's time-consuming, it's exhausting at times and whatnot, but I'm more like criticizing, I think, the delivery, the execution um, of that information to the general public. Because, like I said before, the everyday person is not going to look too deeply into something, as opposed to just taking a general approach of wow, that's so tragic or that's so sad, you know. And for people like ourselves who have had at least some exposure to the policy, whether or not we studied it in school or talked to a friend about it or something, I wouldn't say we're like obviously experts because we haven't studied it that long. But the point I'm trying to make is the drive that people have regarding the policy. And I think obviously it would be nice if no policy like that had to exist to, you know, affect a whole society um in so many different ways but um i guess that is what a policy does right (laughs) it -hmm. is all-encompassing
2: yes exactly that's true and then it and with any
0: i would say yeah i agree it
1: definitely was it's It's an extreme policy policy and i think like Uh, i said with the idea around sharing information that is a privilege to be able to dissect and try to understand other people's perspectives and I do wish that other people had that opportunity, but due to certain circumstances, that mm-hmm. is always going to be the kind of the um, bottom line, if you will, of like some people will get that opportunity and some people won't. It's just reality, you know? Thanks for letting us
2: be on this podcast.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, it was good. I learned a lot and I'll do definitely do a lot of reflecting over the next couple of days and, and when I listen and edit this episode. Anyway, so thank you to the listeners who also have joined us. Um, tune in next week for our discussion on birthdays. If you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, feel free to email us at summer.between.podcast at g- gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewhere underscore between underscore fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next week.